Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Body Mindset Mentor podcast with Ryan Stewart. Today, I'm going to do something a little different. I've been receiving, I mean, I've over, oh my goodness, I've over like 500 um, answer requests on core at the minute. And um, that's just to myself, not, in count, or not including the ones for you and answer later ones. Um, today, I'm going to do like a quick fire round question and answer session, uh, really just to sort of help me answer your questions from core instead of having to sit down and write them down and maybe thought I'd do it in a podcast format. Maybe you guys like this, maybe you won't. You can let me know in my Quora comment section and you can comment below on the post that I, you know, post this on. So today I'm just going to do around a 20 to 25 minute question and answer session just from the questions that you guys asked me and uh, hopefully I can get this out in a much quicker way. So the first question we have here is, besides water, what helps dehydration? To be honest, I don't think there's anything better than water. For myself, I mean, I've quoted this here. I've quoted this equation sort of from Paul Cech's How Do You Move and Be Healthy? It is your body weight in kilograms times 0.033, and that should be your liters per water. Off water, you should be drinking per day. For me, for example, I'm in around, what, 72, 74 kilograms. So I should be drinking in around 2.83 litres of water a day. But my special tip here, and this is going to be not revolutionary, but it's definitely going to help you guys with, especially if people are experiencing things such as um, foggy head and the sort of headaches that can sort of accompany with dehydration. And it will really be to add a good quality mineral salt, such as Celtic sea salt or Himalayan pink salt, to your water, just a wee dab, in order to replace the electrolytes back within the body. Um, thinking thinking about this here just now, besides water, what helps dehydration? Maybe think of, or maybe look at the things that you're consuming that are causing a lot of dehydration within your body in the first place. I mean, are you consuming a lot of caffeine, coffee, or are you consuming a lot of salt, which is you sort of extracting the water then from your cells and giving you this feeling of dehydration? And what are you really gauging on as well? I mean, are you thirsty, or are you generally just feeling the sort of symptoms of dehydration and um, that would be the best tips really to use that equation of your body weight in kilograms times 0.033 and then adding some uh, high quality mineral salt to your water and the next question here we have is how can I boost my metabolism I seem to be getting asked this question quite a lot um, on boosting the metabolism I actually wrote um, quite a comprehensive answer on this here it's been featured in the core digest now over the past month um, I'm, I might link it in the show notes and I'm also writing a chapter about this in my latest book which should be coming out well not very soon it'll probably take me another six months or to a year to com- finally complete it but um boosting the metabolism this is quite a it's quite an interesting one for me because people go in with this sort of false assumption that it's easy to sort of boost your metabolism and that's going to sort out all your fat loss and all your sort of weight loss worries when really my sort of perception is you really need to have a metabolism in the first place. You know, there needs to be some sort of metabolic actions going in and you're going on inside your body in order for you to sort of speed up or use any supplements in order to increase your metabolism. What I mean by this here is that if you are, if you are already lethargic, fatigued and have a lack of energy, and maybe you can't even perform your workouts or your general daily activities. Well, then that tells me you really don't have a metabolism in the first place. And why I say this here is because the major sort of 
organs of metabolism. You know, your major metabolic organ is your liver. Then your liver produces your bile, and then your gallbladder and your pancreas are all involved in this process of digesting your uh, digesting your fat specifically. But and a major issue I see with people is if you think about this here for a link in the first place, the link between the gallbladder and the thyroid is essential. And we see a lot of people with hypothyroidism, which will sort of lean them towards putting on weight as in very sort of, well, hyperthyroidism would be like people that sort of can't put on weight, but hypothyroidism would send you more towards the weight gain. And this is because of issues with the liver and the gallbladder. Now, issues with the liver and the gallbladder sort of stem from issues with sort of absorption, secretion um, and reabsorption of the bile flow. Now, if you're not secreting enough bile, you're not going to be able to absorb, digest and assimilate your dietary fats. And this is going to have sort of, it's almost like a corresponding loop between the thyroid and the gallbladder. And if you have a sort of faulty thyroid activity, this is going to diminish liver and gallbladder activity and vice versa. So it's like sort of a catch-22, if that's the right thing to say. Now, what I would like to um, sort of bring to your attention here now is that with these, whenever these sort of major metabolic organs are out of function in the first place, you're not really going to have a metabolism in the first place in order for you to speed it up. And like I say, the liver and the gallbladder, these are sort of your main constituents in order for getting rid of toxins in the body as well. And a body full of toxins is a very, very sick body and it's also a tired body because it tells me that you're very sick at the cellular level as well. And then it comes in the other things such as fast oxidizers versus slow oxidizers. Maybe you're a fast oxidizer. You know, a lot of people sort of post what are the best foods for increasing my metabolism. And some people post fat, some people post carbs. It's not necessarily true for um, two different types of people. I mean, you could be a fast oxidizer or a slow oxidizer. You could also be a person who's more parasympathetic, uh, parasympathetically dominant or sympathetic dominant meaning you should really sway towards more fats and uh, meats or you should sway towards the more sort of veganism and um, a more plant-based diet. So I get into this here in one of my core posts, one of my answers and the chapter in my book. I don't have the, a lot of time to do it in this quick fire round. But what I would do firstly in order to increase my metabolism would be begin eating for energy, clarity and focus. And I have a lot of answers in this here on my core profile and how you can sort of work this out for yourself. You would then work out whether you're a fast oxidizer or a slow oxidizer. You know, how do I recalculate my micronutrients in order to support this? What are my symptoms of eating too many or too little carbs? I've increased my water intake as well to around 2.5 to 3.5 liters a day. And then also wake up and fall asleep with your natural circadian rhythms. You know, rise with the sun, fall with the moon. And you're going to notice your metabolism is going to sort of uh, regulate itself then. And you're, it's not going to be so hard to lose fat and even put on muscle and things like that. Performing exercise, you can do this with slow cardio, such as walking, or you can do fasted hip training. Just pick one and do it. And also solve your digestion issues. You may need supplements like hydrochloric acid and papine enzymes in order to help you break down protein. Or you may even need um, an abundance of hydrochloric acid in order to help you get rid of bacteria and yeast infections. You should actually check out bio-optimizers. They have a great line of um, mass enzymes such as P3ON, hydrochloric acid, and even gluten guardian that helps you sort of uh, digest gluten, gluten as well and look into good sources of this is in order to sort of improve liver function good sources of extra virgin olive oil preferably organic and then carbs salts in order to improve liver health and then this is going to be one of the best things you could ever do is remove refined processed and dead food garbage from nutritional habits and you're going to see your metabolism is going to sort of self-regulate itself 
and you'll be able to sort of uh, see the fat loss starting to happen a lot uh, more organically. Um, my top three supplements now to boost your metabolism would be, number one would be caffeine. Um, if you look at any fat burning supplement in the market, you'll see caffeine is probably the top ingredient. Um, I would start off with around 100 milligrams, maybe 30 minutes before a workout. And this will enable you to use your fatty acids during the workout as a prime energy source. Remember the mitochondria comes into this as well. The mitochondria's main sort of fuel source would be then fatty acids. And this enables you to utilize them in order to increase the ATP and the energy production then within your cells. Green tea extract then would be my second one. I don't know, you could try in around 500 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams. First thing waking up in the morning or 30 minutes before a workout, it actually increases your overall energy expenditure throughout the day up to around 45%, I think. And then L-carnitine tartrate. I love this here because I like the sort of scientific background of this here. It transports fat into your mitochondria and then this enables your major metabolic organelles to produce more ATP and allows fat to be transported to the front of the, front of the queue, you know, before glycogen and glucose in order for your mitochondria then to use this energy as soon as possible. And um, what I like you be, what I would like you to imagine your metabolism as is like a burning fire. And then caffeine or the green tea or they're like the extracts will enable to ignite your fire to like burn it brighter. It'd be like pouring petrol onto a flame. And then L carnitine really pushes fat into this fire. And this and this is basically like you continuously throwing logs onto that fire in order for them to be continuously used as fuel. So that's really my advice on um how you can sort of boost your metabolism. It might have been a quite long answer for a quick round, but um, that's what I have to say on it. Next question here is, does stomach acid break down carbohydrates? Carbohydrate digestion normally begins in the mouth with the action of amylase hyaline, and then hydrochloric acid would really be to create that sort of um, the chime within the stomach with your proteins, carbs, and your fats. And then carbohydrate digestion would really be finalized by pancreatic amylase within the small intestine, depending now on how well your pancreas is working. This, this is where it all comes into the game, guys. Is carbs good for you? Is carbs bad for you? You know, a lot of people pushing this sort of veganism and high plant-based diet. It's a lot of carbs for people with really poor sort of poor um, sympathetic nerve activity getting into the pancreas, the liver and the gallbladder, perhaps, if it's not working efficiently. So um, on to the next question here. There you get it. Will a three-day fast slow my metabolism? This is it. Really, does come down into how you're going to perform the fast. Is it going to be with medical help? Is it going to be with water? Is it not? And um, are you going to be performing exercise or not? Really, what during a fast you don't really want to stress your body out too much as to put it into a state of chronic sympathetic activation, in which I see a lot of people doing this when they're dieting, when they're cutting calories, and it really just puts a massive stress response in the body, in which you're going to be producing excess amounts of cortisol, adrenaline, noradrenaline, and it's really going to end up breaking you down because you'll be in that catabolic state and this can end up catching you in which you're you know going to break down your muscles and there's going to be a lot of excess proteins within the body it can make you seriously seriously sick if you're not doing this with medical help or you're not doing a three-day fasting protocol in the right way um would i advise anyone doing a three-day fast and will it slow your metabolism it's not going to do your, your metabolism any favors i don't think unless you have excess fat sources to burn up but remember like I said, if this begins to break down sort of the protein and the muscle, or sorry, if it begins to break down the muscle within the body, there's going to be a lot of excess proteins, which can seriously clog up your system and put excess demand then on the liver, the gallbladder, and the spleen, the pancreas, and even the heart as well, whenever the metabolic toxins begin to flood into the blood and the lymph vessels. So 
I, I'm not too sure about that there. Personally, I wouldn't perform a three-day fast and I wouldn't really be worrying about it slowing down my metabolism. I'd be more worried about it sort of causing a burdening with all the metabolic organs within the body and the organs that are sort of fighting to keep you alive. Um, next one here is, why don't many people think of probiotics in their diet? I, I'm not too sure about that one. Recently, I suppose it's only became quite a big thing. Um, I know I... I never really thought about using probiotics within my diet until I read books by Anne Louise Glitterman, you know, the radical metab or radical metabolic boost diet. I don't know what it was called. It was something like that there. But um it really introduced me into a lot of probiotics and how this can sort of help your gut microbiome. Um again, I would sort of advise you to go look at the bio-optimizers range and their probiotics are amazing. And generally, depending on where you're from in the world, the probiotics that you can use in order to suit your gut microbiome, for example, um, over here in Ireland, uh, European descent would be like sort of raw fermented cabbage, maybe sauerkraut, things of that nature. Maybe if you're in places like Asia, it would be things like kimchi, and I don't even know if actually kimchi is. It'd be more fermented foods from that <laughs> region, I'm guessing. That could be totally wrong there, guys, sorry. Um, but I remember being in Iceland, and they had fermented shark and things like this. It really depends on the region and the world you're from. What sort of probiotics can you can use within your diet? I mean, I wouldn't just be going out and going on a mad probiotic diet. Um, it really depends on your genetics, your metabolic rate, um, whether you're parasympathetic or sorry, the balance between your autonomic nervous system and whether your gut microbiome is functioning sort of healthily in the first place. So just be careful with the prebiotics and probiotics and things like um, how much fiber you should be taking. You need to remember, people, that all these research studies have been done with an agenda to prove a point. I mean, this is the problem I see with these sort of dogmatic and ideologies and theologies. Everyone sort of has a point to prove whenever they're going out there and doing research studies. And half the time, some of the research can be very flawed and it can be very sort of one-sided. I mean, if I was to go out right now and prove that, you know, garlic was amazing for the healthy gut microbiome, I could do it. I could quote and cite many re research studies proving my point. But then if I look to the other side of the argument, I could also prove that maybe garlic wasn't so good for the gut microbiome. And you see, I could write a whole book explaining how good garlic was for the gut microbiome and cite all these reference or cite all these studies that prove this. But you need to remember there's always two sides to an argument. Unless you have experience in dealing with both sides of the argument, I wouldn't be talking about it. I mean, I don't talk about things out of my comfort zone. I have experience with a vegan diet, I have experience with a balanced diet, and I have experience with the ketogenic diet and a more meat-based diet, which is why I can talk about it. I also have experience with things such as boosting your metabolism. I've tried the supplements, I've tried the protocols, and I'm able to talk about it. Even things such as liver function and health. You know, I've tried the protocols, I've done things in order to try and improve myself and improve my health. Outside my comfort zone, though, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. And I think we should all sort of learn from that there instead of trying to betray ourselves as experts and things that we're really just reading about or watched a YouTube video or, you know, we've read so many research studies on it. And that was a bit of a rant there. Um, now that's over. Um, how much magnesium can be absorbed at once? I would recommend now, and again, this is of personal experience and perspective. Magnesium is one of them. It's one of them key sort of minerals that we do need along with potassium. I mean, the first sign of sort of cellular decay is whenever there's an excess of salt going into the cell. Or, sorry, yeah, sorry, there's an excess of sodium going into the cell and an excess of potassium coming out of the cell. 
this is sort of universal. This is what happens when the cell is beginning to die or when there's ever when there's disease in an organ or a tissue. This is what you will see at the cellular level. So for magnesium, in around 300 milligrams probably per day, whether that be at the start of the day or the end of your day, anything in above 500 milligrams and towards 800 milligrams, I mean, you're going to be painting the toilet bowl. So I would recommend you stay away from them sort of high uh, dosages. And just remember that the the medicate or the help the benefit or the the benefit or the threat will be really in the dosage that you give yourself. And just remember that there, there's nothing really, nothing really toxic or deadly. It's just really how much you take of it. So just be careful when you're prescribing yourself these things. Maybe work up from 50 milligrams and see what really works for you. I mean, this could be different for everyone. You could be taking enough magnesium in when your diet. And then people are prescribing you 300 milligrams of magnesium, which can maybe cause you to have like sort of violent diarrhea because you're already getting enough magnesium in your diet. So it would work maybe from 50 milligrams and then increase it gradually and uh, see how you go with that. And next, what is your review of Skinny Fit Tea? Is it safe to use? I haven't used Skinny Fit Tea. And, uh, I'll not be using it either, so I can't really comment on whether it's safe to use or not. Um, is peanut butter bad for gastritis, inflammation in the uh, gastrointestinal tract? It can be because peanuts come sometimes, especially if they're not organic, and even if they are organic, they can be full of um, aflatoxins, and this can seriously sort of agitate, whether that be fungal infections such as candida, or if you have any parasitic worms within the gut, this can seriously sort of um, it can aggravate them to produce their own mycotoxins then. And you hear a lot of people having sort of allergic reactions to peanuts. It may be the allergic reaction to the peanuts, as in whenever the blood and lymph becomes congested with their aflatoxins. Or it could also be the mycotoxins from the parasites and the yeast. So that's quite a tricky one there. If it was me, I would probably uh, remove the peanuts for a while until the gastritis clears up. Uh, again, I have numerous answers on my uh, core channel in order to uh, how to improve your digestion and heal the gut. And uh, everything from the supplements and the um, enzymes that you need to use in order to um, improve that. Um, more questions about the metabolic fire. Is metabolic fire a good supplement? Again, people I sort of got drawn to that there because I thought it was similar to my analogy with the meta. As I treat the metabolism as a burning fire, um, you can listen to the start of the podcast here if you would like me to sort of give you my full rundown on how to boost your metabolism. Um, next question here is if people have a daily routine will they generally be happier and healthier I know for me that having a daily routine it sort of makes me generally happier and healthier um, I like pre-planning my day I got this from Brian Tracy I really do like pre-planning my day the day before, the night before Sorry, I write down my A tasks B tasks, C tasks and then the next day I know to get to work automatically on my A tasks and uh, I don't complete any B tasks or C tasks until I've completed all my A tasks. For example, today this podcast is an A task. Um, doing my core answers will be an A task. Um, going to work and stuff, it's also arbitrary-like. But uh, even having a morning routine, people, I mean, I talk about the golden hour. Um, I'm also writing a chapter in this in my book, The Golden Hour, in which you perform some form of meditation. And then you do some reading, something that sort of um, motivates and inspires you during the morning. It sort of sets your mood up sort of in that positive belief state for the rest of the day and then I perform my affirmations my goals and then I perform a gratitude journal and it really does just set me up for the day I mean people asked me recently 
why am I always smiling? Why am I so happy? And I think it might be a big reason could be the golden hour that I spend in the morning. Um, so yeah, for me, having that sort of daily routine and um, not, I'm not saying that I wouldn't break out of it. I mean, during the weekend, no, I think it's healthy sometimes also to break your routine, do something exciting, do something adventurous, do something that sort of is out in the known or in the unknown, sorry. But yeah, generally, I think if you have a daily routine, especially if you want to accomplish something big, I mean, having that sort of routine, as in I have to do this whether I feel like it or not, I'm a big sort of advocate of that approach. I'm doing this whether I feel like it or not. You know, I'm not of the whole philosophy now in training and getting myself into a stressed state of no pain, no gain. I mean, if I wake up in the morning and I'm completely drained of energy, you know, I probably will lie in for an extra 15, 20 minutes or do some form of meditation, which is going to bring energy into my body. I'm not an advocate of this whole, even people at the minute talking about you can still train hard in gyms whenever this whole coronavirus outbreak is happening. I'm not sure that's the greatest idea, people, for one of many reasons that sometimes whenever people are overtraining, this can greatly sort of suppress the immune system. And then if if, if coronavirus is going out in the air and you're touching barbells and you're touching dumbbells, which maybe infected people have had, and then you're touching your mouth, you could seriously be in court. It's sort of, uh, you could be seriously causing detrimental harm to your own health. And it's not even that there. We need to stop being a wee bit selfish at the minute. Yes, we might be fight, fighting strong and healthy with our own immune systems, but let's think about the people that we're coming into contact with, the old people, the young people, maybe people with compromised immune systems, asthma, and um, even people with MS, things of this nature. And, um, you know, I can't even think of it right now. But people with them sort of already that have the respiratory elements, I mean, that could be quite serious for them. So don't be so selfish and think, yeah, I can work. Yeah, of course we could work out. I could go to the gym as well. I could do whatever. Like, you know, I mean, I know my immune system is fighting strong and healthy, but I wouldn't want to take the chance in going and maybe working myself into a state in which just that one moment in which the immune system is compromised and then the coronavirus maybe does sort of inhabit you. And yes, it could sit dormant. But you can infect other people. So that was a bit of a rant there in the coronavirus. But um, just remember that there, people, whenever we are talking about um, going out in the public now. And yes, it's okay if you're fighting, fighting fit and healthy, but just be mindful of other people as well. I don't know how I got off on that rant, actually, by the way, from uh, people having a daily routine. Will they generally be healthier and happier? So in my perspective, yes, I like having a daily routine. And uh, it keeps me fighting healthy and strong. And it does make me happier because I know I'm working towards a bigger goal. Goal setting probably for me would be more important than having a daily routine. If you know what your goals are, then your daily routine really falls in and around that. So that's really what, what I would have to, um, that's my advice and perspective on that topic. So that's the first question and answer session done for the Body, Mindset, Matter podcast today, people. I hope you enjoy this sort of short segments and like sort of quick fire rounds in order to help me sort of answer your questions. Let me know what you guys think about this here and um, hopefully I'll be able to do a lot more in the near future. So thanks for listening, guys, and hopefully I'll be speaking all soon to you again.